praise God. It feels good in this house today. Amen. I feel the peace of God here. Some places I go and preach, it, when you walk in, you can feel tension. You can feel tightness. You can feel just different things that are rumbling in the atmosphere. But all I feel today is peace. Amen. I feel peace and I feel harvest. Amen. Amen. Why don't we just one more time pray to Jesus that he'll help us individually to open our hearts to what he has for us today. Oh, God, lead us and guide us this morning. Lord, direct us with your word today. I want to be very sensitive to the Holy Ghost today because today is a big deal to God. And if it's a big deal to God, I want it to be a big deal to me. Amen. I don't want to miss anything that God has for me today. I give honor to Brother and Sister O'Connell. I just absolutely love the O'Connell family and Asher and Nora and my kids just they just want to get here as soon as they can when we're lined up to come be at the sanctuary. And, uh, you know, Asher and Levi, they kind of share a similar vein. You know, they're both kind of like, you know, frogs and animals and dirt and, and all that kind of stuff. That's how boys ought to be. Amen. Amen. I'm thankful for Brother O'Connell's friendship to me. He's been a great friend to me. And I'm thankful for the faithfulness of this church. Man, thank you for going and loving and giving, and keeping the light on in the darkness. Amen. Because of your faithfulness, there's a light that's shining in Jonesboro today. Amen. I'm thankful for that this morning. I'm going to go to Exodus chapter 2. And I'm just going to read Verse number 20 and 21. Now the setting of Exodus chapter 2 is Moses leaving Egypt. And um, he said unto his daughters, this is talking about the priest of Midian, who Moses is introduced to as he is leaving Egypt the first time. The priest of Midian said unto his daughters, And where is he? Wondering where Moses was. He had not yet been introduced to him. Why is it that ye have left the man? He had helped them to get waters from the well. And so the priest of Midian, a man by the name of Aruel, who is also in the next chapter called Jethro, wants to be hospitable to the man who has helped his seven daughters to draw forth water and so he says call him that he may come and eat bread with us and Moses was content to dwell with the man and the priest of Midian Ruel Jethro gave Moses Zipporah his daughter I want to just talk to you today about the dangers of a dwelling place or of a settling place the dangers of of a settling place. You can be seated today. Amen. 
Sister O'Connor, how, how long have y'all pastored here? Seven years, that's what I thought. The Lord spoke to me. It, it was such a joy when I pulled up and I saw that big smiling picture of Brother and Sister O'Connor on that sign today. Those of you that have been in the Jonesboro area and the church atmosphere of the Jonesboro area for the last 50, 60 years, you know what a big deal it is when there's a church that appreciates their pastor. You also know what a big deal it is when there's a pastor that is led by the Holy Ghost, that lives a life of purity, and that is obedient and leads a congregation into the blessing and the promises and the abundance of God. Because there have been pastors that have come through this area that that has not been the case. And there have been church situations over the years. It has been just the tenor of this area that there has been division, there has been strife. And so when I pull onto the parking lot of the sanctuary and I feel peace in Jonesboro, Arkansas, I just want to tell you that's a big deal to God. Amen. It's a big deal to you. It's a big deal to me. It's a big deal in the end time because God's going to use this church in the end time. And I was just praying a couple weeks ago before I was scheduled to come, and I, <coughs> the Lord has seen fit to fill my schedule, and I only had one weekend open for the rest of the year. And uh, I was praying, and the Lord spoke to me about this church. And he said, for the last seven years, I have tested them to see if they will allow my authority to rest among them. And because they have allowed my authority to rest among them, I will now use my voice to direct them into their future. Amen. That's a word from the Lord for this church. Amen. So it's a big deal. It's not just a couple good-looking faces on a sign out there. That is a mark of a people that have allowed the authority that God has placed and evidenced in your life to rest among you in this church. And the Lord started dealing with me about this church about 10 years ago before it was ever even a church. And for a little while, I thought I was the guy that was supposed to come to Jonesboro and start a church, but then the Lord uh, dealt with me that I was to carry a prayer burden for this church, but I was not supposed to be involved outside of that. And so Brother O'Connell, who was my good friend, came and he started the church, and the Lord just began to deal with me about buildings for this church. And God showed me the first building, I think, or one of the first buildings that you were going to be in in prayer. And I don't know if we talked about it much, but over the years, I have, I have just felt a strong burden of prayer for this church because this church specifically is the key that unlocks the door for revival in this region. Amen. And so when God sent you a pastor, he didn't just send you a pastor. But the Bible, in regards to the fivefold ministry, mentions that there are also what are called apostles. And what an apostle does is an apostle is a man that God calls into a region to break down the strongholds in that region. 
and to establish spiritual authority in that region. And when that man comes in and through prayer and through spiritual means begins to establish spiritual authority in that region, it begins to create a place of peace. And when there is a place of peace that is created, there is a harvest that begins to rise in that place of peace. That's what God sent you. He sent you more than just a pastor. I, I, I feel something real strong prophetic in this house today, and I felt it since about last night. I, I've been praying some specific prayers for this church, and I feel like God's come just, just sent me to paint you a picture and then give you a little bit of direction today, okay? So if you're looking for a pretty sermon, Brother O'Connell's one of the finest preachers that you're ever going to hear, and he's going to preach a great one Wednesday and Sunday, and, but that's not really my job here today. I'm just going to obey the Holy Ghost, and I know that's okay with you because I feel safe in doing that today. Amen. But I, I, I've been praying, and I'm, I'm going to prophesy to you. Now, now, we have, before I say this, we have a responsibility to the prophetic. When, when the prophetic is painted as a picture before our eyes, what is happening is God's standing back here at something that's already finished, and he's speaking into the ear of the man of God, and he's saying, hey, I want you to describe what it looks like. And when you describe what it looks like, if it's received by the people, and if they begin to pray and prepare their hearts, then what I've already done is going to come into fruition in their church and in their family and in their lives. And so it is that if I don't receive the prophetic, then I don't receive a prophet's reward. I don't receive the anointing. I don't receive the fulfillment of the prophecy. There is a responsibility to the prophetic. This is why the Lord says, if my people, then will I. If you will do this, and if you will be obedient, then I'm, here's a prophecy. Here's a promise that I am going to heal your land. So what I'm about to tell you is not an absolute in this generation. But what I'm about to tell you is fully dependent upon your receiving of the prophetic and your praying over the promised seeds that God's going to plant in this church, in this generation. I'm just going to tell you, God wants a church of 1,000 people in the city of Jonesboro, and God has put a man in this church that can handle pastoring 1,000 people in the city of Jonesboro. That's what God wants to do in this city. God's got $5 million of assets and property and finances just waiting to be released as he begins to bring this to fruition. That's what God wants to do in the city of Jonesboro. But Brother Hurst, I have a responsibility to that. That doesn't mean that there's going to be a thousand walk through the door tomorrow, and that doesn't mean that somebody's going to write a $5 million check in the mail, and finally you're going to have that breakthrough in that property miracle that you've been seeking tomorrow. What that means is that God is saying, hey, that's what's coming down the road. You need to focus your eyes on that. And you need to begin to pray over that. And you need to begin to speak that. And you need to believe that even when you look down the road and it's a little foggy that day. You need to still believe that I, I, I know I can't see it today, but there's something beyond the fog. 
and this fog's going to lift. This fog's only a season. There are some things that may, be sh- that may be shielding me from seeing my future right now, but I believe the promises of God. I believe that it shall be even as it was declared to me, and whether I see it or not, I've already heard it. Amen. That, that old prophet heard the sound of abundance of rain before he ever saw the first raindrop begin to hit the dry crack ground. I just came to tell somebody in this house that today you're hearing the sound of an abundance of rain. And you may not see it today, and you may not see it tomorrow, but there's about to be, amen, in the next, in the next year, there's about to be some raindrops that start falling. On this congregation, hallelujah, when raindrops start falling, there's some seed. They come into contact with the seed, Brother Curtis, and when the the water comes into contact with the seed and the atmosphere gets right, I want to tell you there's nothing that can stop the harvest from springing forth from the ground. Amen. Amen. That's what God wants to do in this church. Now, in this area, there's a, there's a few things that, that you battle and you fight. And, you know, I, I've been around this area for 25 years, and so I'm pretty familiar with most of, uh, a lot of you, and we're friends. And there's, there's two things that churches battle. And if they can't defeat the first one, they never see the second one. But if they defeat the first one, it's then that they start dealing with the second, okay? The first thing that a church battles is strife, all right? You start having church issues. You start having all that. Now, I'm in a place where that's been defeated because God has sent a man to establish apostolic authority, and through prayer and through wisdom and through obedience to the leading of the Spirit, that first enemy has been defeated. So you're not in a church that's ever going to split. You're, it, for some of you, that's the first time you've ever been in a church that hadn't split. You're not in a church. Every once in a while, there might be a little this or that rise up, but you're not in a church where that's going to that's gonna take seed and bring forth a harvest. Because what's going to happen is that this atmosphere in this church is so saturated with the Spirit that that, those things won't live in this atmosphere. All right? So if somebody does start spreading a little bit of that, you just do what you're supposed to do, and you cultivate the atmosphere that God calls you to cultivate. And you say, you know what? I'm not going to take it to my brother and call it concern, but I'm going to take it to God, and I'm going to call it prayer. And when you begin to do that, that atmosphere that you've seen in other churches will never take root in this church because God has sent a man and God has sent you and you have been obedient and you have allowed the authority of God to rest in this house. And so you don't need to live in fear that all that stuff's going to happen. Amen. I want to say that one more time. You don't need to live in fear that this isn't going to last and that this is going to fall apart. You don't need to live in fear because you've already conquered that battle. Amen. There's too many people that have conquered that battle in this congregation for that to begin to have an effect on the body. It might have an effect on some individuals. 
that have not conquered that battle in the garden of their own heart, and they might be washed away, and they might walk away. That's true in any and every church. But in this church, there's an atmosphere of peace and absolute obedience to the power of the Holy Ghost and submission to the authority of God. And because of that, there is a battle that has been fought for generations in this city that has been won in this church. That's why this church is a big deal. That's why it's a big deal. When you pull up and you see the face of Brother and Sister O'Connell out there, it's because that's God saying, man, you need to leave that sign up there for a while if they're not too embarrassed to do that. that because that's a reminder that God is saying, hey, you've already won that first battle. You've already defeated some of the things that defeated your parents. You've already won the battle over some of the old issues that those that have come before you have fought. Amen. How many believe that today? Now, there's a second battle that you're fighting right now, and it's called resistance. All right? You don't even know what resistance comes from. Sometimes you don't even really know why it's there. You, you just feel, man, there's a heaviness. There's a wall. There's this. I, you know, I don't know why I feel the way I feel. Well, I'll tell you this. Moses was called and ordained like Jeremiah. Before he was in his mother's womb, God had already ordained him to be a deliverer. Because in every generation, God raises up a deliverer to deliver people from the bondage of Egypt. So Moses was that man in his generation, and it took a unique route. His life took a unique path. And so Moses is born to his father and his mother, a lady by the name of Jochebed. And uh, Jochebed had a great passion that was put there by God to instill within Moses the promises, the precepts, and the identity of the people of God. And so what happens is at that time, as is true in every time and every generation where God is raising up a deliverer. The powers that be in Egypt try to kill the deliverer. Okay, God's about to bring a tremendous revival to the United States of America. And this is one of the manifestations of resistance against that is through all of the abortion and all of the, the issues that we have with killing babies. They were killing babies in Moses' time. They were killing babies in Jesus' time. Now that we're killing babies in America, why? Because there's an enemy that understands that there's a deliverance generation that's about to rise up. And if they rise up and become who God intends for them to be, then there's going to be the greatest end-time harvest, the greatest revival that the United States of America has ever seen. Amen. And so every time God sends a deliverance generation, there's resistance that comes that tries to kill that generation. And the first thing that they try to do is to kill that generation with strife. And then if they can't kill that generation with strife, there's just this, this resistance. How it happened in the, the life of Moses is they're killing these these babies, but the Hebrew midwives, they, 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 were, they were instructed by the king of Egypt that if there's a female that's born, you let that little girl live. But if there's a male that is born, I want you to kill every male 
child, and so there's an age limit. They're killing male children under a certain age, but these Hebrew midwives uh, who had uh, an understanding of the promises of God, they uh, had a love for the things of God. They rejected what the king was doing, and they said, well, it's better to obey God than a man that is speaking against the process of God. And so uh, they began to save those male children, and so Moses is born to Jochebed, and uh, they realize pretty quickly that they can't get away with raising Moses up in their house. And so she says, what I want you to do, uh, she, she, she says, what I want to do is what I, I want to make a basket, and I want to pitch it, and I want to make it to where no water can, can get inside. I'm going to lay this baby in the basket, and we're going to place this baby in the river. And uh, I believe that God has his hand on my boy, and so we're just going to place him in the promises of God. And so... Uh, they, they placed Moses in the river, and God divinely directed the currents and the flow of that river to where it took Moses right to where Pharaoh's daughter uh, was in there taking her daily bath. And so uh, what happens is this baby comes up. There's an instant heart connection between Pharaoh's daughter and this baby Moses. And her handmaids say, well, this looks like it's one of the Hebrew babies. And uh, she says, I'll tell you what I want to do. Let's take this baby into the palace, and we're going to raise this baby up. All of this is ordained by God. Amen. Uh, Jochebed and Miriam may have placed that baby in the river, but really it was God's hand that placed that baby in the river. And there may have been currents that, that, that weren't predictable in that river, but really God was the one that was dictating the, the flow of the currents in that river. And there, there may be, there, they may not have known when uh, Pharaoh's daughter was going to come out for her, her, her daily time at the river, but God knew exactly, and God dropped it in her mind and said, now's the time to go out. And God is the one that orchestrated that because God will not leave any generation without a deliverer. And so he, 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 will, he will orchestrate all of the events of, of humankind for a deliverer to come to a lost generation. And so what happens is Moses uh, is raised up under uh, the tutelage of uh, governors and uh, Pharaoh and, and leaders and, and, and tutors. And uh, he begins to understand the ways of Egypt. There's a governmental wisdom that begins to rise in the mind of, uh, of, of Moses. And God begins to use the Egyptians to train him to be a mighty leader. God is using uh, the ones that uh, have his people in bondage to empower and to equip Moses, because God can, God's the one that sets kings up and takes kings down, and God can take that which is meant for evil and turn it around good. He's, he's, he's sovereign. He's all power. The only thing that stops him is man's disobedience. All right? And so God's doing all this in the life of Moses, and uh, God's raising up this deliverer. He's training him through the mouth of Egyptians. He's training him with the fingerprints of Egyptians upon his life. But at the same time, God provided a, a space of time for Moses to be put back into the care of his mother. And so God's saying, I'm going to train you in the wisdom of the Egyptians, but I'm going to give you power with God as well. Like Jacob, who became Israel, I'm going 
going to give you power with God and with man. And so I'm going to allow your mother to put uh, the, the principles of God inside of you. She's going to teach you the things that, that have been passed down orally and have, have been passed down through the Spirit to generations. And so it is that Moses grows up in the palace and he grows up in uh, Egypt, but he is a stranger in a foreign land. And so it is that he walks out one day and he sees that, uh, Brother Hargrave, there's, there's a little bit of a, a fight going on and there's some Egyptians that's fighting and a, a, a Hebrews involved there. And he, there's something that rises up inside of Moses that God has put there. It's not just Moses' bad attitude, but God has put there. God's put a warring spirit. God's put the spirit of a deliverer inside of Moses. And so when he sees something that is not being handled in a just manner, he looks at that and says, I've got to do something about that. And so he goes over and he delivers his Hebrew brethren and he kills the Egyptian. And it probably wasn't right. Moses is branded a murderer. The next day he sees two Hebrews fighting. He walks up and says, hey, why are, why are two brethren fighting against each other? And they look at him in a mocking manner and say, what are you going to do, kill us like you did the Egyptians yesterday? And so there's a, there's a light bulb that goes on in uh, Moses' mind, and he realizes that uh, these people know what I've done. And Pharaoh soon hears what Moses has done. And so God allows that to, to catapult Moses out of Egypt. God directed all this. God is the one that allows all this to happen. I know that Moses wasn't right by killing the guy, but God orchestrated the path of his feet, and he understood that Moses was going to rise up because there was a seed of a deliverer inside of him, and if he's put in this situation, this is how this is going to pan out. And so Moses is pushed out of Egypt because now Pharaoh gets the understanding, oh, we've got a deliverer on our hands. Pharaoh starts looking at Moses in a different light. Maybe yesterday he was thinking that if I die, we need to have a succession plan so that Moses can rise to the throne because he's got an understanding above that of his brethren. He's got an IQ beyond those of all my other children. He has the capacity to lead the people of Egypt. But then what happens is that when there is a manifestation of a deliverer, the attitude of Pharaoh turns on a dime and he says, Oh, I've got something on my hands I didn't realize I had. I've got a deliverer of the people of God. And so now, rather than trying to empower him, I'm going to try to take him out. And so it says that, that Moses is drove out into the wilderness, and he's, he, he comes to a well, and he's sitting at the well, and these seven girls walk up. They were the seven daughters of the priest of Midian, a man by the name of Ruel. And... He helps them draw water from the well. He doesn't have any direction in his life, but he doesn't understand that God's directing his life the entire time. And he's helping these girls, and these girls go back, and they tell their father, there was a man at the well. He helped us draw water from the well. And their father says, bring him to me. I want to show him some hospitality. I, 
uh, he, he's helped my daughters. They said it's an Egyptian man. Moses still looked like an Egyptian. He had probably had his head shaved and was wearing Egyptian clothes, still had the mark of Egypt upon him, but, uh, but he had the touch of a Hebrew man. He had the kindness of, of the children of God. And so it is that she, they said, that, that's an Egyptian. And uh, he said, bring him in here. I, I know he's an Egyptian, but I want to show kindness. Didn't realize that they were a part of the same group of people. And so he brings Moses back into the house, and uh, over the process of time, the, Moses gives, uh, 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 I'm sorry, Jethro, the man, his name was Jethro Anruel, he gives Moses his daughter to marry by the name of Zipporah. And it says in Exodus 2.21, which was our text today, that Moses was content to dwell there with Jethro. Resistance. There's a deliverer inside of him. But now he's found a settling place. He's thinking, well, I've escaped the strife that I came out of. But now I've got a settling place. For 40 years, he sets in that settling place. Midian means strife. He's delivered to a place where he feels like he has peace, but the reality is that strife's always there just under the surface. And if Moses stays there in that place a day too long, then he's not going forward anymore, but now he's going backward into strife. And so he's been delivered out of strife. Now he's dealing with resistance. He's dealing with a contentment to, to just settle in and to, to, to enjoy a family. Never mind that he's got five books of Scripture locked up in his mouth. He's got a ministry to millions that's locked up inside of his spirit, but he's content to sit there and to dwell with a man. He's content to stay for the rest of his life at that point in the process. He's feeling like there's a little bit of resistance. I can't go any farther because I've killed a man. I've got some things in my past that won't allow me to get beyond where I'm at. So, well, maybe it's just God's will for me to be here. Maybe it's just God's will for me to do that. Never mind that he's been trained in the palace and he's been trained by the greatest teachers of the then known world and he's got leadership inside of him and there's a revival inside of Moses' spirit and there are words from God inside of Moses' mouth and there's a future inside of Moses. But because he now no longer has the strife of yesterday, he's content to dwell, he's content to say, Settle in the peace of today and never become all that God has planned and desired for him to be. That's where we're at today. Just because we don't have the strife of yesterday does not mean that we can't go forward and be who God called us to be. The temptation of this generation in the sanctuary will not be to gnaw on one another over dinner, but the temptation of this generation will be to settle for less than who God has called you to be. The temptation of this generation is for this church to grow to 300 and level off and say, well, we've got a nice resting place, but I just came to tell somebody that there is something beyond where you're at right now. There is something inside. There's promises of God.
that are locked up in your prayers. There's prophecies of God that are locked up inside of your heart. There's a destiny and a future that has been ordained by God. Yes, strife is a thing of the past, but there will be no settling place in my future. I'm going to rise up and be who God called me to be. Somebody lift your hands <laughs> to receive the word of the God Lord right now. Hallelujah. There's a harvest in Egypt. There's a harvest of people, Brother Curtis, that God wants to bring into this house. There's a harvest of God's people. The Bible calls them the heirs of salvation. Hebrews says, talking about angels, are these not ministering spirits that I send to minister to the heirs of salvation? We get this mindset sometimes that the heirs of salvation are only in this room, but I want to tell you that there are heirs of salvation that are all over this city that have not yet had a visit from the angel. And if there's not a man or a woman that rises up and, and says, I'm not just going to be content to dwell in Midian, to dwell living outside of strife, to settle in this house, I, I want to tell you that the same angel that went to Cornelius' house through your prayers, if you'll get a divine discontent, will begin to show up in the houses of men and women in this city. Hallelujah, I'm talking about a visitation of godly dreams that begin to come to minds of men and women in this house and this church may have been secluded on the back side of this hill for the last few years, but I just came to tell somebody that if you'll get a divine discontent that rises up in your soul, that God's about to take you into a large place. God's about to do the complete work that he's always intended to do the thing that's God's holding that, that's holding you back from your building miracle is not God it's not the enemy it's resistance inside of us I know that doesn't feel too good but in this area there's a there's a blessing Dry County, so we don't have just mass alcoholism and sin that comes through that gateway. I travel a lot of different places, and th this is a blessed area. I mean, we're out in the middle of rice fields. There's really no reason there should be a town the size of Jonesboro that rises up in, in this area. We're not on a river. We're not attached to some metro area anywhere. But God, just out of the middle of a field, allows a city to spring up. That's not an accident. Not only that, in the middle of that little, that, that, that little town, in the 40s and the 30s and the 50s, there's revival that starts hitting and there's heritage that God starts just planting in that place. We look around and say, well, little old us. Let me tell you something. God's been, ah, God sent a Jochebed years ago, and he dropped this place into a river, and it's just been rolling down through the river, and 
and, and there's been a contact of the right people, and God brings a man and a lady of God that begin to, I'm going to tell you, this is a deliverance generation. God's been orchestrating. He's been ordering. He, I, I'm not just talking about the people of God. I'm talking about the very function of the civil government in this community has been orchestrated by God to create a place so that there could be a Moses generation that rises up and says, you know what? We thank you for the blessings of God. We thank you, God, for the grace that you have bestowed upon our area, but we're not going to take the grace of God and stick it in our pocket and use it for our own blessing, but we are going to rise up and say, God, you didn't just bless me to bless me. You blessed me to be a blessing to my generation. You blessed me to be a blessing to my area. That's why you're here today. That's why there's not a whole bunch of fighting in this house today. Because you're a Moses generation. I'm just going to tell you something. God didn't send me to pray people through the Holy Ghost today, and I'm okay with that. If somebody gets the Holy Ghost, we thank God for it. God sent me to tell you something. When I pulled over the hill a couple days ago, I, I pulled up here to pray. And when I did, the Lord showed me a vision of this harvest of wheat just snapping in the wind all over this property. And I looked up, and above this property, there was a black darkness with a sickle in his hand. And I looked up the driveway, and there were shiny, beautiful sickles that were laying all over the parking lot and parking spaces. The Lord began to deal with me about where this church is at. After strife and peace, strife leaves and peace comes. That creates a place for a harvest to rise up. And that harvest is going to have a sickle that is put to it. And if God's people don't pick up the sickle in prayer, then there's a resisting force that's going to come and steal your harvest. God sent me to call this church to prayer again. You've done all the right things. There's not sin in the camp. There might be little issues here and there, but there's not sin that's just just ripping through the camp, none of that. The judgment of God is not upon you. The future and the destiny of God is upon you. But what the Holy Ghost has sent me to tell you is that it is time to pick up the sickle in prayer. And if you will pick up your sickle and begin to intercede and begin to travail again, I want to tell you what I saw is that there was a darkness with a sickle in his hand that just began to fade back. And there were people that just began to work in the harvest. Hallelujah. 
Let me tell you something. Your pastor's coming home, and the reason why this place has become what it's become is because of a few praying people and because of a praying pastor and a praying pastor's wife. And so there's not going to be a stolen harvest as long as he's here. He's going to be able to handle as much of that field as he can handle. But I just want to tell you, he can't handle it all. There's got to be somebody else in this church that picks up a sickle and gets a burden in prayer and says, God, I don't want to settle. God, I don't want to settle with something less than who I am. I don't want to settle. I've seen too much mess. I've seen homosexuality in the pulpit. I've seen adultery on the platform. I'm tired of that. I'm going to pick up my sickle and become who God says that we can be. Somebody lift your voice right now. Hallelujah. If you'll lift your voice, there's a spirit of prayer that will begin to fill your mouth right now. If you'll lift your voice, there's a spirit of intercession that will begin to settle upon you in this house right now. See what just happened? We got inspired. We took a short walk in the spirit. We ran up against the wall of resistance. We can't we we can't push back resistance that way. The only way that you can push back the resistance that I'm talking about resistance that has destroyed pastors' families. I'm talking about resistance that has destroyed churches. I'm talking about resistance that has sucked the life out of ministries. That's the kind of resistance that you're up against right now. You, it's going to take more than just a two- or a three-minute prayer, but it's going to take people that say, I'm going to die. My flesh is going to die except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. It can't bring forth a harvest. I'm going to crucify my flesh. I'm going to find a place of prayer. I'm not just going to take a brief stroll in the spirit. I'm not just going to walk in the spirit, but I'm going to live in the spirit. I'm going to speak what the spirit has to say. I'm going to walk where the spirit says to walk. I'm going to pray when I don't feel like praying. I'm going to press through when all I see is a fog. I'm just going to believe that on the other side of that fog, that there's a prophecy, that there's a fulfillment, that down the road there's a church. There are heirs of salvation that are depending on my prayer right now. Financial blessing is not locked up in your pastor's preaching. It's locked up in your mouth, Moses. He's going to preach. There's nothing locked up in this man's mouth. He's going to preach anything God tells him to preach. Direction for this church is not locked up. He's going to give direction. But we have a responsibility to that direction. 
that responsibility is to open up our mouth. There are ministries inside of some, I've probably said it every time I've preached here, but there are ministries inside of some of you that are flourishing, beautiful ministries that are laying dormant inside of you. Why? Because you won't open up your mouth. If you'll open up your mouth and just begin to pray, I'm going to tell you that ministry is going to start flowing out of your mouth. It's going to start flowing out of your mouth by you going and saying, Pastor, I feel a real strong burden. God's wanting me to go somewhere. God's wanting me to do something. God's wanting me to put my hand in the harvest somewhere. God is wanting me to pick up a sickle. But the only way that you can pick up your sickle is if you quit having locked jaw in the spirit and allowing the resistance of the enemy to shut. God never shut the mouth of of Daniel. He shut the mouth of lions. And Daniel continued to yet pray and when Daniel yet prayed Holly I want to tell you it wasn't Daniel in the lion's den lions run in packs of 10 and they submit to the authority of the biggest lion they understand authority when they saw Daniel walk into that den a man that refused to have locked jaw in the spirit but yet opened up his mouth they realized we're not the authority in this den but we're the lions in Daniel's den I want to tell you that you are not in a place of resistance but resistance is in the place of a promise that God has prepared for this church. Is there a Daniel that will open up your mouth and stand to your feet and say, I'm not going to settle, but I will be who God calls me to be. That's it. To the extent that you open your mouth, the door will begin to open. To the extent that you will open up your mouth, the resistance will be pushed back. Somebody open up their mouth to him right now. Hallelujah. I need our men to lead us in prayer right now. I wonder if there's men that would lift up holy hands and step out of your pew and come to the altar right now. I wonder if our men could lead us into our future right now. I wonder if there's some men who will say, I'm going to open up my mouth. I'm going to be the spiritual leader. I'm going to follow after the man that God has called for me to lead. I'm not going to let the prophecies and the future and the promises for my family and for my generation be locked up in my mouth. Ah, that's it, men. Lift up your voice right now. After the men have come, ladies, why don't you gather in the aisles and begin to lift up your voice? There's an intercession inside of some of you. There's an intercession that's going to send angels to houses. There's an intercession that's going to turn the light on in the mind of prodigals. There's an intercession that's going to bring forth revival when you begin to open up your mouth. Hallelujah. For about the next 10 minutes, we just need to lift our voice and pray in the Spirit as God leads right now. (laughs) Hallelujah. You just need to push back some walls. Come on. God's going to allow your prayers to push back some walls right now.
Let there be a deep prayer that comes out of you. Go ahead and pray until you get past that surface prayer. Go ahead and pray until your flesh is out of the way. And let there be a deep prayer that begins to come out of you. There's some old channels that God is wanting to reopen in this house right now. Come on, how many times have you asked God for what's been prophesied today? Now God's saying, hey, I'll give it to you. I just need you to speak it into existence. I just need you to pray it into order. I just need your prayer to lift it up to me. And if you'll ask me for it, I will open up the door and I will give it to you. I want everybody in this in this house who has the physical ability to lift your hands right now. God's got something for you today. Come on, God's got something for you today. Go ahead and open your spirit and begin to receive it right now. Hallelujah. Open up your spirit. Open up your mouth. See, some of you, there are seeds inside of you that are not dead. They've just been dormant. You thought they were dead. But that God's about to create an atmosphere when those seeds and those promises and those prophecies and those ministries begin to come to life inside of you. That's it, Moses. There's too much in you. There's been too much preaching that went in your ears. There's been too much praying that went on at your house. There's been too many hands of ministry that have laid their hand on your head and imparted things to you. Mm. 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 To whom much is given, much is required, and you've been given much. 
God looked down at Jonesboro and he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to give that city another chance. And I'm going to revive the work that I began in them so many years ago. And I see the issues and I see the things that have just went throughout the churches, but in the midst of wrath, I'm going to remember mercy. I just need a man to pray that prayer. There was a young man who was on the pastoral staff in Hot Springs, and there was a young lady who had been raised with a spirit of deliverance. Who praying in the Holy Ghost said, I will pray that prayer. God, if you're looking for a vessel to pray through, I'll be that vessel to pray through. (laughs) So God said, I'm going to plant them as a seed. And what I give them in the beginning is just going to be the earnest. It's just going to be the down payment. For seven years, I'm going to test the down payment to see if they want the rest of what I've got for them. And if they will allow my authority and my vessels to rest among them, then I will perform that which I have set to perform. I say to this church today, thank you on behalf of the kingdom for allowing the authority of God to rest among you. Because of that, according to your willingness to open up your mouth in prayer, God will now perform that which it was always his intention to perform. Somebody lift your hands and just thank the Lord for direction. Thank him for his word today. Leave me, 